Life is busy, especially if you've got a very important podcast to host. If you want fewer trips to the grocery store and a freezer full of meat, get ButcherBox. They've got incredible deals on high-quality meat and seafood, and it's delivered right to your door. You can customise your ButcherBox plan, and they'll throw in recipes, tips, guides, and hacks. ButcherBox meat is humanely raised. There are no antibiotics or added hormones, so you can choose from grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood. And shipping is 100% free. Sign up at butcherbox.com underworld and use the code underworld to get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. That's butcherbox.com underworld and the code underworld to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Welcome back to another episode of the Underworld Podcast, uh, the podcast radio program where two journalists, myself, Danny Gold, and my partner in crime, Sean Williams, take you on a journey every week into the world of international organized crime. This week, though, we are not doing that. It is the week between Christmas and New Year's. You know, we're not supposed to do anything, but Sean and I have chosen, uh, you know, the wrong paths in life. So we are actually putting in the work because we made a yep. deal with the devil the uh the content devil and we're here to uh you know feed the beast but uh sean you're about to go on vacation though aren't you i'm off to aussie so i'm going to australia i don't know if it counts last time i went to bougainville i stopped in brisbane for a couple of nights on the way there and there back so uh i'm off to sydney on new year's eve so i'm going to see some fireworks i'm going to see some cricket and hang about by a pool and do all the things i should be doing right now yeah it's gonna be good are you abandoning your child to do that um, unless I leave him to wander around the pool and drown, then, uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I might, I might wander off and, and see some, uh, you know, professional sport without him, but, uh, no, it's a family. It's a first family, uh, holiday. I think it's the first one. Yeah. Well, you know, with all this Patreon money flowing in, of yeah, course you can, yeah. <laughs> you can, you can take your, your family on like an hour and a half long flight, but, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are going to do a, uh, a Q&A for you guys. Uh, we asked for questions from the, um, from the Patreons and then also on Instagram and I think on Twitter, anywhere else. But uh, some of you even wrote in with some questions. Most of you just wow. had really not nice things to say about Sean, which you know, I, <laughs> I disagree with. Yeah, so without uh, you know, much further ado, uh, Sean, do you have anything to add to that? Nope. No, nope. all good. <laughs> Great. Great, let's get going. Okay, so... First question is from Alec. Uh, he says, you're our favorite, my favorite podcast, which, you know, All right, good. I send it there. And uh, yeah. can you do more reporting or give more information on Honduran youth selling fentanyl on the streets on the West Coast of the U.S.? Uh, I live in the Bay Area and fentanyl is rampant. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know too much. I know obviously people are selling a lot of fentanyl all over. Uh, especially on, on the West Coast and in Philadelphia. But I do not know about Honduran youth selling it on the streets of the West Coast. I imagine it's, you know, uh, coming up from Mexico and there's the normal gangs that have the distribution networks there that might be Central American. 
um, and and Mexican as well, Mexican American or Mexican in general. But uh, I don't know specifically about Honduran youths. That uh, I assume that they're not the only ones doing it. Um, mm. Sounds kind of kind of personal. I don't know. Do you have any any insight into that? No, I mean, I was going to say on a Honduran front, like, uh, I remember when I was out in Belize last, God, like 18 months ago, and a lot with of the, the Belizean rapper, with, guys. With the rapper yeah, Shine. Shine story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was talking to these kind of like Rasta gangsters in Belize City, and they were all pretty deep with the Hondurans back in the day in the 90s and early 2000s. And they were saying that's where they got the majority of their drugs and guns, so... Maybe I could tap up a few old contacts from there and we could do a piece on that. I should have done it at the time, really, but that's pretty much my only understanding of Honduras at all. Uh, I don't really know anything about it. Yeah, I mean, they had, you know, it, like uh, like El Salvador, they had the uh, 18th Street and um, MS-13 there. And I also kind of wonder, it'd be interesting to look into this, what the deal is now that Bukele has pretty much shut down the gangs in El Salvador. If they flowed outward into surrounding countries... Uh, yeah. If they're more more in the states right now that are involved, maybe in, in selling on the streets. But I'd really like to, you know, I think it was um, uh, Honduras and Guatemala had had serious gang problems. So I, I'd be interested to see what uh, what was going on there. But you know, Honduras has always had a pretty not always, but I think in there's there's definitely been people that have gone down there the past fifteen twenty years that have done really good work on the gangs. But uh, Kyle, uh, that doesn't answer your question, but it's the the best we can do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I would just give a shout out for uh, Guatemala City, which is probably the scary or outwardly most scary gang city that I've ever been to. Um, oh, I spent, really? Like, I didn't even... three nights there like years ago, and it was fucking terrifying. Yeah, people like shooting guns on flatbeds and like openly. You can just see the stuff going on the streets. It was pretty rough. Uh, this was back in 2017 or something like that. So I hope it's changed for the better now. But uh, rough, rough, yeah. Sorry, that was Alec. This is Kyle. He says, maybe more on the Russian mob wars and the Irish mob are about the relationship between organized crime and politicians in India. That is um is mm. not a question, but uh, <laughs> I will take all of those things into consideration. I think we have some good, in terms of like episodes coming up, um, you know, I'm, I'm due to talk to our friend Hugo about the Swedish gang wars that have been going on. Yeah. Uh, he is a mom resident who follows that stuff closely. Um a uh, friend who is going to uh who's going to do an episode with us i think the next one maybe on um what was his name uh say chilop the guy that uh oh yeah yeah the syndicate yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. uh i got we're gonna walk through that too i got a bunch of stuff on the vancouver gang wars that are going to be good and sean you got some stuff cooking up too don't you yeah i'm gonna do one on tijuana i don't know if anyone's been watching the news lady but there was this crazy story where it was just like basically a, a sort of narrative straight from a Sicario movie, like a bunch of cops stole a bunch of cartel coke. And uh, in the last few weeks, the cartel has been running around just popping off all of the cops who did it. So uh, we're going to talk to Luis Chapara as well. He's been out there. I think he's still out there this week. Um, so that's going to be my next episode. And then, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to maybe do something on Mezrine, Jacques Mezrine. He was like, one of the biggest gangsters in French history, moved over and joined the Quebec freedom movement. Uh, there's a great movie with uh, Vincent Cassell about him. So yeah, there's a bunch of different stuff. And then there's some reported things that I'm going to get into next year, maybe in New Zealand and Australia as well, because there's way, way more interesting stuff going on here. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd love to do more stuff on India. I love India. I, I want to go there basically all the time. But um, 
That is such a massive shit show that it's hard to dig into one thing at a time. But they've got a, they've got massive elections going on next year, so maybe we could do something around that. Yeah, that I'm sure will will be easy for journalists to go and report on. Um, next question, Samuel Patterson, where are we in the Ridwan Tagi trial? Because you did that episode, Sean, on the Macro Mafia, I think, right, and all that. Yeah, that's a that's a good, yeah. that's a good question. Where are we in that? Yeah, I mean, I was just doing a little bit of research. I mean, his son was arrested in Dubai in September. Of course, Dubai, that's where a load of the stuff takes place. That's where he was kind of hiding out with the Kinnans for a long time. Um, and last week, three of his lawyers resigned saying they hadn't been given enough time to mount a proper defense, which is, I guess, a stalling tactic, maybe. Um, but back in summer, I think it was July, like middle of July, the judges on the case said there'd be a, quote, delay for months. So... They think a verdict's coming pretty soon. I imagine it will, but um, yeah, just kind of uh, suck it and see right now. Going to see whether that comes out in the next month or two. But we'll be uh, there. His, we'll, we'll do something when it comes out because that's a huge, huge trial. Yeah, that's correct. I can't imagine he's going to get off, but who knows? To date, <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's been your favorite episode of research and produce and the favorite one to learn about from the other co-host? Um... I don't know. In terms of research and produce, I guess the ones that I that I haven't done actual reporting on, the ones I've just researched, favorite ones. I really liked learning about um I guess the the Vancouver sort of gang wars, like the Sikh stuff. That was really interesting to me. Um Yeah. I because I didn't know anything about that. It was really uh, it's it's a it's a crazy I forget the name of the, the the main gangs that were doing it, but that was a crazy story to learn about. And then to learn from you, I don't know, I, I learned so much from you. I can't uh <laughs> I can't, it's just I can't much, narrow right? it down. Yeah, this is <laughs> too much. I can't narrow it down. I mean, I like, you know, the Burma story I think is, is great. The one about the billion dollar methamphetamine. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's more to come on, but that's, that yeah. Year. Um, yeah, I think I, I really like, I really loved your one club, club land. Um, that was really cool. And, uh, the recent one about Cuba and knocking off Fidel Castro or trying to knock off Fidel Castro. That's kind of like right in my wheelhouse of, I don't know. CIA spies and drugs and mafiosos. So that was really cool. Um, the one that, I mean, the one that I really, really enjoyed researching that came out recently and related to one that we did last year is kind of the Sahel terror gang cocaine shipment kind of stuff. Yeah, um, that was I fascinating. Find that so fascinating. It's like countries that most people don't really know about. They don't get a lot of column inches in the newspapers. Um, and then if people want to go back and listen to the Guinea Bissau stuff, that is nuts. Um, and I read one of the questions that someone's asked us later on, and I think I'm going to get into that in a bit more detail. But yeah, both of those ones were maybe my favorite ones to, to research in the last year or so. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, dude, I feel like every almost every episode you do, I learn something interesting, unless it's like about cricket, in which case, <laughs> actually, no, even the cricket one was, I thought, was uh, had some interesting oh, stuff to oh, it. Oh, man. That makes my heart um, sing. Next, we have our man, Beer Spill Phil, which great name, who's from Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, my dude, you wrote a novel over here, but there's a couple of questions here. Uh, actually, about the cricket story. Sean, do you, um, is there any potential cricket story that would confuse an audience that does not understand cricket even more as to how the game actually works? And I feel like the answer is all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only marginally more than that sentence. But if I understand it correctly, uh, I mean, look, Phil, I could go deep you could have a two-hour <laughs> podcast on like the physics of the googly so whatever you want i got it but um it's getting 
You know, like the, the best thing in the world is basically teaching American audiences about cricket. So I get to do a massive nut graph on what cricket is, which is the best thing in the world. But um, I reckon I've got one of those every three years. So I think it might be a while until I get anyone interested in Sports Illustrated or <laughs> anyone at Sports Illustrated interested in cricket again. I think the guy was saying, my editor was like, your first two stories have been rugby and cricket. So it's basically a miracle. And I'm trying to pitch him saying about darts at the moment. So if I get those three through, I don't know, maybe some kind of a Sandman situation happens. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm always up for a cricket story, but I don't think many other people are. So <laughs> that might be the one for a while. And then he wasn't sure from the article, was the 1X bet successful in attracting gamblers in India? Oh, they're, they're huge, man. Like I just watched a, like a series between, I think it was India and I'm going to say Bangladesh or something. And there was like 1X bet post, uh, like holdings everywhere around the ground. Uh, they call it 1X bat there um, to get around the authorities. And they, there's just, it's huge. It's huge. It's like India is the biggest gambling um battlefield in the world there's like this 150 billion dollar gambling industry and almost all of it is illegal so people are trying to kind of legitimize it or just take some of the illegal money and uh yeah it's pretty it's pretty rough and that's kind of what that story was about is all of these even sort of ukrainian and russian country uh companies trying to go for the indian the, the rupee so um yeah they're very 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 successful they basically didn't even bother responding to the story and uh, they seem to have just carried on regardless with sponsoring loads of cricket stuff, even though there has been a bit of pushback. But uh, there's some more to come on that front as well. I'm working on a few more things, so we'll see how that goes. I respect that move these days. Just like, just not care, you know, not issue a statement, <laughs> not like apologize, just no. like don't care. Just keep going. Yeah. yeah. Um, Another question, too, from our man, Beer Spill Phil. What's the take on the trend in U.S. media covering organized retail crime? There was a retraction from an industry group about it recently. Um, and uh, it's just kind of, like, I guess, his main questions are, what are your thoughts on organized shoplifting? Is there anything either of you would be interested in doing? No, in researching or reporting on more, and which aspects of it would you try to cover? I think uh, someone actually asked us a while ago, too, for us to look into it. And I think... You know, I, I sort of think there's some nuance to the conversation, right? It's it's definitely a, a real thing. I don't think it's as widely pronounced as uh as like some of the more um aggressive articles I I think say, but it's it's a real thing. Like people it like there are organized rings that do this sort of thing. Like Rite Aid and Dwayne Reed and CBS are losing like, you know, substantial amounts of money by putting all their stuff behind lock and key. Businesses don't like yeah. to lose money. Like they wouldn't be doing that unless they felt that it was necessary. You know, they can look at their bottom lines and see what it is. Like no one's doing that for fun or to prove a point, right? Cause it's called, I go into those stores and I half the time I either leave without buying anything. Cause it's too fucking hard to get someone to come unlock the thing or I buy <laughs> way less than I was going to. And like the number one thing those stores want to do is have you buy their products. Um, yeah. and like, you know, yeah. there's this thing where we're like, Someone who's like a hyper leftist online will be like, "Oh, they're stealing to um to to feed their kids." It's like no one's stealing twenty things of Tide to feed their kids. They're stealing it to hustle it and to make money, and and usually it's related to drugs. Um, do I think there's like huge organized rings where people are making millions of dollars? No, but do I think that people go out go in there with the objective of stealing a lot do i think there are smaller rings yeah I, I think that's that's pretty much a definitive thing and if you look at to some of the other articles about it there's like 
you know, I, look, I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here, but there'll be stories about how, you know, 90% of the shoplifting from a certain store is done by the same 20 people and along those lines. So I think, I think the answer to that falls somewhere uh, in the middle. And Sean, though, when, when you were here in the U.S., weren't you involved with, uh, with doing organized shoplifting or you were just doing that for fun for yourself? Um, we're going we're gonna to skip over that. But if anyone wants to look at something a lot more parochial and small scale, but also quite funny, which is basically what everything in New Zealand is, um, there's this like one jewelry chain called Michael Hill in the whole of New Zealand. And they just got absolutely murked by an organized series of like hits basically all over the country. I, I think it's like within two months. Um, so even like in Wellington, just down the road from us, like on the, on a block away, which is like the safest, most quaint little place. Uh, there's security guards at this Michael Hill branch and everyone's terrified. So it's quite funny. But, um, like break, like, like a break in, like a robbery or like, yeah, a yeah, yeah. like, like, uh, like break or break ins. I think it's, I think it's to do with the two big, um, bikey gangs. So the Mongol mob and the, mm. um, and the black power. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's happening. But I, I, I guess it's like on a smaller scale than New York, obviously, but, um, it's similar, you know, like these are just sort of opportunist things that are tied to bigger groups, but they're not like, they're not like a business model for these groups. They're shifting drugs. They don't really give a shit about you know, bangles, but, um, yeah, it's happening. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you work in retail, you're expected to, anyway, you know what, let's not get into that and, and discuss, uh, previous <laughs> youthful indiscretions, but, uh, cause he has a follow-up question too, about car theft with the Kia stuff and the, uh, stuff in, in places like Philadelphia and the Northeast U S uh, are people stealing for money or for the thrill of it? Uh, I have no idea. I don't know what the motivations are. I mean, obviously there are some cases of people, <laughs> I think joyriding. Yeah. I, I, I got no idea. I think there are cases of people joyriding stuff in, in Philadelphia. I've definitely seen reports of that. Um, I assume there's money in it. You know, if it's like 15 and 16 year olds, generally I think it's stuff for the thrill. Um, but I assume like chop shops are still a thing and like stealing cars. And I know that was a big thing in, um, New Jersey and in Oakland's uh with uh with organized uh like luxury car luxury carjacking and theft you know and they would get on boats and ship them out to west africa that was a huge thing for a while i'm not sure uh i feel like with newer cars and newer technology can't they trace things easier yeah but, um, i don't think they have a lot of the shit that people go, went for back in the day either. like he mentions catalytic converters i don't think anyone nicks catalytic converters these oh, days no. do they dude like, of course yeah of course they do they do really? that stuff i got my nicked like three years ago yeah <laughs> dude that's huge shit. okay <laughs> catalytic converters is a huge thing um and much easier to get away with than uh than stealing a car because you get God, under a car you can have one so long. yeah you can have one out in like four or five four or five minutes maybe even less and then and then flip it and it's like you just go into a car pick a few up and uh they used to hit my neighborhood non-stop yeah dude oh, it's, man. it's I, huge I, I, I remember it being a huge thing back in london like when i was uh, god knows how young i was then but i, I just assumed that that had gone out of fashion but yeah no dude that is huge in the states like huge oh, yeah shit. fucking ruined my month it cost like a g to replace <laughs> it sawed mine out it was worth my fucking car wasn't worth a thousand dollars when that happens. Um, <laughs> but uh, beer spill, Phil, man, thanks for the uh, the kind words and the many questions. This is uh, is this entertaining, yeah. Sean? You think anyone's going to listen to this all the way through? Yeah, yeah. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. There, there'll be some <laughs> hapless fools who's going to yeah. listen. <laughs> uh, Henry Smith, what crimes or rackets, if any, do you respect for their cunning or ingenuity? I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, just people who don't get caught, you know, I think, uh, the credit card scam, like the 17, 18 year olds who figured out how to credit card scam for a while. Like that's always, uh, that was a smart thing to do. You know, you don't get a lot of years on it. Um, what was the, the Bitcoin credit card thing that I talked about way long ago where they were using Bitcoin to purchase stolen credit cards and make their own credit cards. Like that's always a good, uh, that's a good scheme. And I respect it because it's not, um, you're not like the the cost benefit analysis. You know, if you're going to break the law, you know, why do something where you're going to get uh, untold amount of years for for pocket change? Like these guys were going for for big money, and the I don't know, it wasn't it wasn't super uh, super costly. Um, yeah, I mean, I anyone from uh, anyone from a really poor country who gets involved in stuff that isn't just outwardly killing people, you know, whatever. I don't really care. Like, yeah. If you, I mean, look, I, I, I want to, I think I read one of the questions further down and I, I want to talk about Haiti because what's going on there is, is pretty horrendous. But like, you cannot argue with young people in completely broken societies getting involved in crime. It's like the underlying stuff. I don't know. Maybe someone's going to complain that I'm being too woke or whatever, but it's like, you know, in that, like that Sahel episode, right? Who's going to tell some, guy from Niger that he's not going to traffic cigarettes across a border. Whatever. That's fine. That's okay. Uh, is that cunning or ingenuity? No, probably not. I'm trying to think of anyone that's been like really, yeah, cigarette. really clever. I think cigarette, cigarette smuggling, like in the States even. Yeah, definitely. Definitely think that's a, that's a good look. And even, you know, people, you know, drug dealers who sell, uh, I think, higher price drugs or stuff like people, you know, not, I'm not talking crack or heroin, but people who, um, you know, it's a lot of work. People don't realize that like being a drug dealer is really hard. You've got to be available. You know, you can't just like not show up to a client. You've got to be on the move all the time. Like delivery service drugs is a really hard business to run. People yeah. don't really, people think it's easy. It's not easy. It's we stand really, drug like, dealers. I mean, I'm just saying like, there's a lot of work ethic that goes into it that people don't realize, but that our next question is, would yeah. the pod legalize drugs? And, um, Oof. I mean, I don't know about you. I actually, I go back and forth. I think there were definitely times when I, I think I would say yes, but I don't think that's the case now. I feel like when you look at places where they've tried to do stuff like that, it's mostly not been good. Um, yeah. Like, I think, I mean, I don't know what's going on in Portugal, right? Weren't they big on that with decriminalizing and, and having social services? I mean, that if you do do it, you've got to really ramp up social services. But uh, I also just think of like myself, you know, if... um. I mean, not now because I'm boring now, but like if stuff is easier to get, like you're going to do more of it. And that reply, that, that, that's like any vice, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think obviously the drug war does way more harm than, uh, than good, but I don't really have an easy answer to that. I just think that, uh, obviously there's, there's a lot of drugs I think that should be legalized. You know, when you, when you go a bit higher to, you know, crack, coke, yeah, heroin. Well. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. yeah, that's terrible shit. Uh, I mean, I just don't think, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that stuff should be super available anywhere. Even like weed no, is now, like it just, shouldn't be, it's, it's, it's weird. It should right? be, people should be protected from it. Um, yeah. It's like, I remember speaking to Fanda Felbert Brown, who's like, I don't know. I just defer to her for most things of this kind. Yeah. She's, she's she was like saying the that, world like, expert on all this stuff. Yeah, she was saying that the Netherlands, Scotland, and Portugal, she mentioned as well, they've got like really ha- good harm reduction uh, systems in place. 
but they also have really shit outcomes. So it kind of needs either more investment. It's kind of one of those things where you're just like, oh, we just need more money for, for this true uh, system to come into place. But, you know, politically, no one's going to pay fucking half the GDP just to make drugs available. So I don't know. It's really tough. I mean, the fentanyl stuff like that is terrifying. You can't legalize that. That's just impossible. Cocaine, maybe that's a different matter, but it's like such a minefield. I mean, like, I guess all we can say is what, what, what's happening now doesn't work. So no, no. we need to change that. But, uh, if you want policy uh, answers, then go to someone else. But, uh, yeah, yeah I'm not I your would... guy. Like, I don't get paid to think about that. Like, I'm yeah. not, I don't, <laughs> I don't have any answers for any of this stuff. Legalize weed and uh, ecstasy. That's what I would say. Let's do that. Yeah. Come find me 10 years ago and I'll talk about this stuff with you all night. Now I just, I don't, I don't care. Uh, yeah. Liam Dunn, what do you guys like about each other the most? What a sweet question, Liam. Oh, um, that's nice. Sean is, you know, Sean's a very handsome man in person. I got to tell you guys, but uh, I guess that he like puts up with all this and he's also game. He's like game for anything. You know, I came to him with yeah, this idea and he was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go for it. I mean, let's be honest. He didn't have many options, but like he was up for it and he still is up for it and he puts the work in. And uh, he's a great writer. I mean, what don't I like about? Well, mostly like his his <laughs> jokes. But uh, wow, and he's was... like the only he's the only person that's worse at like business aspects than I am. Like I thought yeah, I'd link true. up with someone to like run a business, which this I guess technically is. And like, yeah, he'd like come in here and 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 figure it all out. But no, we're both terrible yeah. at that. How 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 long did it take for for me to send my bank details to you for the latest? Uh... Amount well, of money. The thing is, what, like, you kept this was money you were owed, like a substantial yeah. amount. And it, it wasn't that you didn't it took you a long time to send them to me. You just kept sending me the wrong ones. And I'd be yeah, like, Sean, this is like a, a lot of money and, and like it could get lost. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, I think this is it. I think this is it. And I'm like, you should be sure when you're having someone send you money of what your information is. Yeah. And we're talking yeah. about, you know, because it's podcasting, we're talking about a hell of a lot of money here as well. So <laughs> yeah. This is big, big dollars. A lot um, of money, a lot of money for us. <laughs> I think that you are far better at speaking about stuff uh, on the cuff than I am. And you've got far better mind for that kind of stuff because you've done a lot of it. And uh, when I came to the podcast, I was basically just a nerd with a notebook, which is not what I'm not now. Um but yeah, you're way better at that. And I think you're way better at kind of speaking about things and, uh, I don't know, like communicating, proving you wrong, literally on this podcast, on this episode. <laughs> you also, you also know shit about a lot more than I do. I feel like I know exactly the amount about organized crime that I write about in the pod scripts and almost nothing more. So you, you can like wander off on all kinds of stuff. You seem to read a hell of a lot of shit. So. Yeah, kudos to you. You know, I'm going to keep going because I would say your writing has gotten for, for, like, you're a writer, writer, you know, so it's hard to switch from writing articles to writing for uh, voiceover, whether it's talking or video. Yeah. And you, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard. And I, I only knew because I had to switch years ago, but you've gotten a lot better at that. And your reads are really good too. Like, there's barely any edits anymore. So you yeah, really need to go back I to think, the early ones to, to see yeah, how it could be. You've improved your game and your, the way you speak and all that sort of stuff. Um, oh, well, there you go. That's a nice end to the year. Yeah. <laughs> Cam McCardo, biggest organized crime moment of 2023. Oof, I don't know. Uh, I think you put an answer here. Ovidio, uh, Ovidio Guzman, arrest and extradition. I think, yeah, that was huge, huh? That's huge. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's like, that's genuinely going to shake up. Like, not just organized crime in the Sinaloa cartel, but it's actually going to 
make a huge difference politically in Mexico as well. Um, because AMLO, as I think we've spoken about a million times on the show, is like hugs, not bullets or whatever the shit he said, the stupid stuff. And now he's kind of gone full circle and realized that doesn't work. Um, and I think there was the arrest and extradition of that major, was it like the army officer? I think I spoke to King Hamilton about that. And it's kind of like turning, I think, back to early, maybe Vincente Fox sort of years in Mexico where they're actually going to start going after people. Um, and even though there was like, you know, war on the streets, um, that guy, um, or video is like, I think he's, he's facing trial now. I think it's going ahead. So yeah, that's a really, really big moment right there. That's kind of maybe an about turn for Mexico. And, and, and secondly, I wanted to talk about barbecue. This guy, um, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, but that, that he's basically taken over Port au Prince and, sort of trying to take over Haiti. I mean, like, you know more about this, right? How big... This guy has been on every documentary going and every yeah, single I mean, TV loves, station. But. He loves media. Uh, I didn't realize... So I, I haven't been tuned into that for the past, I think, four or five months uh, since things got really bad, I think, when we initially did an episode on it. I didn't realize that he... Because I thought it was competing gangs. I didn't realize that he had pretty much taken over the city on his own. Yeah, he's like bunched them all together, right? So now he's kind of the king of the underworld there. Or, I mean, it's not even the underworld, right? He just yeah, owns the streets. The government, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty, pretty terrifying stuff going on there. And I mean, Bukele oh. is doing his own thing and sort of arresting every... Oh, yeah, that's a huge story too. Salvador. Him just completely shutting down the gangs in, uh, in El Salvador, I feel like, considering the work that we've done uh, on El Salvador, that feels pretty big. Uh, yeah. Patrick Cummings, do you generate your own story ideas for the show or f- uh, for your longer written reporting, or do you take a sign pitch from media entities? How do you find out about obscure underworld figures? Uh, for the show, we mostly, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I come up with them ourselves. Every now and then someone writes a recommendation. We had a lot of recommendations. Yeah, uh, Very often. So yeah, some of them are good. Some of them are good. Um, <laughs> so a lot of them sometimes are like on stuff we've already done, which, uh, you know, it is what it is. There's a lot of episodes. But uh, no, I mean, back when I was a freelancer, it was almost always stuff that I generated on my own. Uh, every now and then I'd get someone coming to me with a story. The two podcasts I'm making now that are, are going to be out uh, this coming year that are like documentary style, uh, they came to me with the story or with the, um, with the main characters and I sort of had to figure out the story. So uh, that's, that's been interesting. Obscure Underworld Figures, I don't know, man. I just read a lot on this stuff. Like Once it became a... Um, a part-time job. Like you kind of have to dive yourself into it and then people come to you with stuff. Uh, so it gets, uh, I don't know. It gets interesting. Yeah. I, I would say with the, with the stories coming to you kind of thing, it's like a snowball, right? So the more stories you do, the more stories are going to come to you. I mean, like, like the amount of features that have come to me off the back of other features is just, I mean, it's like 90% of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, at the start, I was obviously like pitching my ass off. And I, I mean, like you really do have to pitch a million times a month to get any work when you start out. But, um, and then people start coming to you. And then because I really want to do these like expansive, giant, esoteric stories about fucking sports betting and cricket, <laughs> then I tend to be the one reaching out and trying to do them. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pitch a story about the world's champion Scrabble player at the moment. Uh, so that is a hard sell, but I will sell it. I promise. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's similar to you. Like, how'd you find out about obscure figures? Like this guy in the latest episode, the Sahel, I remember speaking to a reporter 
uh, Lorraine is her name and she is Scottish, but she does a lot of work in West Africa. She's really, really cool. I think she works on the, um, is it the Transnational Organized Crime Index? One of those ones. She does a lot of work for them. And she was interested in Guinea-Bissau and also she had mentioned someone called the El Chapo du Sahel. So there's not a lot of stuff about him out there, actually. It's like pretty fresh ground. Um, so I would suggest any young freelancers who don't mind getting their head chopped off then just get a flight out to the <laughs> army and try and figure out stuff about him. But yeah, just don't do read, that. read, 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 read. Yeah, don't do that. No, don't do that. Don't, don't, um, don't do that. No, just read books and uh, play PS5 instead. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of how it works. Uh, next question is from Reese. How did you get into professional journalism and what would you have oh, done Jesus. differently? Uh, I would not have gotten into professional journalism, Reese. <laughs> uh, well, let me, let me, let me break it down. professional journalism? Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, you know, I want to, I want to make a difference or I want to go on adventures and you don't really do it. Yeah. You may you know some people get someone exonerated for, for, for murder and that's great and all that. <laughs> well, for the most part, you don't really, you don't really make a difference and uh, you get to go on adventures somewhat, but you know who gets to make a huge difference and go on adventures all the time? Rich people. Ah. So yeah, oh, become one okay. of those and then you can put your money into things and it'll be better. You know, look, here's the thing. If you're smart, don't go into journalism, just become rich <laughs> and, and use the money that you make to change things that you want to change and support people you want to support and to go on adventures. If you're not that smart, you know, and you're just going to have some like, you know, office your own job where you don't get to actually make a lot of money and go on adventures and, and change things. Maybe then go into journalism. But if you're smart, there's really no reason to do it. All right. So I have to be the angel on the shoulder, do I? I mean, like, what would I have done differently? I would have chosen my parents and background differently. So that's a thing <laughs> in uh, British journalism. But uh, I mean, I got into professional journalism in a really winding way. I just wanted the right shit and my background, like all my family are builders and I, I grew up as a builder. I worked as a builder for like 10 years. So I didn't really know what you could do and make a living from writing. So someone suggested writing for a local newspaper, which is what I did and worked in a part of London called Dagenham and Redbridge, which anyone listening to this pod who knows London is going to laugh their tits off because uh, it's not a nice place. And it was run by the, basically the national front, like the fascist, like openly fascist local government at the time. But, um, that meant that it was really, really interesting. Then I went into documentaries and films and all kinds of stupid shit. So, uh, and then I kind of wound my way back to doing freelance journalism. But what would I have done differently? I tell you what, on a, on a really earnest, earnest, earnest note, like it is, it was like an incredible way to get into different parts of the world that you would never normally see. Uh, but I probably wouldn't have got as messed up as I did. Like I used to go partying and just do loads of crazy shit. And, uh, I probably should not have done half of that, but half of it was cool. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You need to knuckle down, man. It's hard. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not very good at it now. So who knows? Uh, this one is from Hugo. One of my favorite underworld characters is Frank Booth from Blue Velvet. Have you ever encountered anybody that resembled that darkness intention? <laughs> is that a is that is that Dennis Hopper? Yeah, it's the Dennis from... Hopper complete psychopath. I mean, like obviously yeah. not. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I met this one guy. I was just thinking about this, and there's this one guy I met in Mumbai uh, when I was doing a story about a hitman trying to find this hitman, any fixer in the underworld who knew about this hitman that I was trying to find. I did find the guy eventually, but it's a bit of a damp squib. But um, yeah, the, the fixer was called Dinesh Patel. He was this 
just had like 20 phones on him and he was like covered in gold. Um, but also like clearly off his rocker on gear in some of some form and was really tetchy and always went around with this massive, uh, bodyguard who was wearing a shower kameez. He was a Patani, which is like these gigantic sort of Iranian Pakistani guys who everyone's scared of. I might be getting that wrong, but they're scary fuckers. Um, and he probably it for a crime story was as close as I've come to someone like that. But no, nah, man, I mean, you're not going to meet Dennis Hopper. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I just don't think, um, I don't know. I don't, I feel like, it, you know, people don't talk like they do in movies for the most part. I mean, there's, no. uh, you know, I'm talking to some like, um, American mafia guys at the current moment. And, you know, some of them are very charming, uh, and have a certain, they're older now. So maybe when they were younger, they were scarier. Uh, one of them has been through a lot. So he's got, uh, just family wise and, and everything else. So he's got this darkness and tension in him that, uh, you know, is pretty overpowering at times, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think you meet so many people that you're like this guy. People go on to like have adventures. It's a tough question. Nothing stands out to me. Maybe like this leader of 18th street and I forget his name, but like no one, like, again, you know, no one's jumping out to me. And if I can't remember their name, that maybe they're not as, uh, as pronounced at that. I think, I think this is why I do stories about different stuff and not just like one beat because people are interesting, right? It doesn't really matter what they're doing or where they're from. Like people from different spheres can be super interesting and other people that do stuff that you think is really, really cool and off the hook can be boring as hell. And that's why they're good at it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. From sports stars to musicians to drug dealers, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely met a lot of really interesting people, people who I'd love to know more about or kind of figure out what their story was or how they got to be like they are. Just not in that, not in like Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet sort of way, you know? No. no. Uh, here is one of our last questions. Uh, Matthew, question for both of you. Any crime, gang, trafficking book recommendations along that those lines? Uh, I think we always recommend McMafia just because it's a really... Really yes, good piece of work about that yeah. sort of stuff. Uh, who is it who wrote um, the corporation? All those TJ English just writes really good crime books. You know, uh, yeah, like fantastic about. Uh, I think the corporation. A bunch of others. I think he wrote one about the Westies. Um, I think we've used like four of his books for for different episodes uh, along those lines. Uh, Patrick Wynn, I think Sean, we, you know him or still yeah, spoken um, to Patrick hello, Wynn, Nar- hello. Narcoland and, um, yeah. Oh, no, Narcotopia. No, no, Narcotopia. I have, I have, I actually, yeah. I have a copy of it that I haven't read yet, but hello Shadowlands Great I thought book. was really, really interesting yeah, just cause I awesome, love those like awesome books. Southeast yeah. Asia short sort of, uh, stories. Um, God, I wish I was home now just cause my whole shelf now is basically, uh, books like this <laughs> just because of the, um, of the podcast and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, that's a really cool part of doing this show. I, I would say on the other side of the coin, um, Moneyland by Oliver Bullough is like absolutely incredible. Um, showing how I think he says like one sixth or one seventh of the money in the world is like basically dark money and goes, you know, is, is laundered. So, um, that's a real eye opener because like it's not, I don't know. It's just like, you know, follow the money kind of stuff. And it really, really is crazy how much money is going into 
ah, just like tax havens and, and sort of, you know, I mean, real estate, we keep saying it and that kind of stuff. That's, that's a really great book. Um, uh, no, Kilo, I mean, yeah. Kilo oh, by Toby, Toby News is, uh, he's a uh, longtime friend and just, uh, an incredible book about the entire, uh, cocaine industry process, everything from the farmers to the, to the sellers to the cartel bosses in Colombia. It's really, you know, something, something else. Um, yeah. And if we're, if like we're really, actually talking about kind of, uh, vets of the pod, then, um, Young Grillo's, uh, El Narco yeah. is an absolutely great read as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I think, uh, what guns, what's his other book called? Um, oh God. Now you're going to fool me, uh, catch me out. I don't know. Uh, wait, the most, the, the recent Blood one. Gun Money. Blood Gun yeah, Money. Oh, yeah. Gangster, yeah. 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 Gangster, gangster warlords, all that. But El Narco, I think is, um, is probably the best out of all those. It's just, uh, it's, it's an excellent, excellent book. Yeah. I mean, I, for one of the recent episodes, I mean, it kind of is an offshoot of a project that I've been working on for about two and a half years now that's actually finished tomorrow, which is very exciting. Uh, but I've, I read Christopher Robbins' Air America, which is about how the CIA kind of like, you know, exploded the drug trade back in the seventies and the secret war in Vietnam and that stuff. That is a brilliant book and he does some great reporting. And I think I, I kind of remember looking back on some stories in the newspapers at the time. And like the whole world and their dog was refuting his journalism and saying that he was talking shit and it has all subsequently proven to be true. So that's a great book. Um, but there's tons. I mean, like Alex Perry's Good Brothers that I think we did a show on that at the start of the year. That's brilliant. Kind of heartbreaking tale of the Andrangheta and the women that try and get out of it. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so many. I mean, yeah, guys, there's just the we've time. got a reason this. <laughs> we, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I've updated that in about two years. Uh, but, oh, um, what's it called? The one about Bombay that, uh, Maximum City, City? Maximum City. Yeah. Yeah. Meta. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I met him once years ago. Um, very interesting guy. Oh, but cool. yeah, there's, I mean, there's, uh, and there's, there's a lot of good books about, about, um, you know, the, the, how organized crime getting started in the U S in the early 1900s. I mean, I love the original, like, uh, gangs in New York. You know, the like original yeah. one from Herbert yeah. Asbury, I think. And then um, Luke Sante, right? A low life. All those old school. Yeah. Murder Inc. Uh, oh, Murder Inc's good. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's enough, right? We gave you guys a, that's a yeah, pretty that's solid like list right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. sure there's other really good ones that we've, we've forgotten that um, people who have come on the podcast have written. So apologies if, uh, if that's the case. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. New year in what, four days? Anything else you want to, you want to add any, any words of wisdom, anything? Um, Oof. I don't know. Uh, words of wisdom. Nah, I mean, just, uh, just thanks for tuning in. Like we've really, it's been a crazy year, right? We've like switched providers and had all these contract things going on and it's been like kind of stressful at times. So thanks to you guys. Totally for, stressful. Uh, oh, it's really stressful. It's just like working down a mine in Pakistan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, like it, it is really cool that you guys listen and you subscribe. And those of you that pay on the Patreon as well, like, yeah, massive. Thank you to all of you guys. Yeah. And, and keep listening and all that. So that's, uh, the fact that you guys have been with us, some of you for, for years now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. Cool. I mean, I still, you know, I think we're still both sometimes in awe that, that thousands of people, tens of thousands of people actually listen to this 
uh, every week. But, yeah. you know, I guess the bar is set really low in terms of uh, <laughs> other, uh, just in general, what what's out there. But, uh, you know, I keep just mumbling over this. That, anyway, is, yeah. Is this, you, is this you ending on a high note? Okay. I'm just, I'm tired, man. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Regular episodes start again next week. Uh, if this wasn't to your liking, just go back. There's like 150 episodes. You'll find yeah. one of those. 